Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back, and I'm going to try to exude a warm, sunny day because it's actually kind of cloudy and rainy where I'm at at the moment. I am joined by a brand new guest, and I'm going to make sure that I don't butcher your name, Janioris Diaz Rodriguez. Did I get that right? You got it. Am I I'm close proud of at you. Least? Okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say right off the bat, I already, I already told Janioris this. She has got the best radio voice, and not only that, uh, her husband is actually an audio specialist, and so we're going to have some of the best audio on a podcast episode that we've had to date. Uh, so thank you for that extra little bonus. <laughs> He'll be happy to hear that. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I want to dive right in, and um, let's talk about... Well, first of all, I'll just kind of give everybody a, a little bit of a teaser. We're going to actually talk about how to create a multifaceted life. Now, there there is... I mean, it's very easy as business owners. I know that I'm not a great multitasker. Um, I have to kind of push myself to to break out of my box and out of my normal rhythm. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a healthy thing. It challenges us. And we'll get into that in more detail. But today we're going to talk about how to create a multifaceted life. We'll get to that segment of the conversation in just a little bit. But to begin with, Janioris, talk to me a little bit about your businesses, your photography businesses, brand position. What market are you currently in? So I am currently, I identify as a portrait photographer. So I specialize primarily in families, um, but my passion project is boudoir right now. Really? Okay. So, mm -hmm. and, and what market are you based in currently? Oh, I am in Deltona, Florida. So it's a very small town on the outskirts of Daytona Beach, about okay. an hour of Orlando. And and the reason that really the main reason that I asked this question is to kind of give I mean, I, I, I need to do a better job, I think, still of introducing our guests, giving a little bit of context to experience and, and where you're at in the U.S. market. But it also helps to understand what market you're in, because this idea of brand position matters for the sake of distinction. Right. But why does it matter to have a brand position? If you just say you're a portrait photographer, or you're a wedding photographer for our listeners, this is why we spend so much time here is those those words are a dime a dozen these days. There's so many photographers out there. And so having a distinct brand position, not only what service you offer, ideally it's a unique service, but if, it, if it's not necessarily a unique service, then the way that you offer that service uh, hopefully will be unique. And then being able to effectively communicate that is really important. So I, I'm actually looking at your Instagram profile right now, Janioris, and, and it says creating profoundly personal connections with people that want to leave a legacy. That seems like kind of a combination of a brand position and a mission statement. Can you give context to it? Sure, sure. So I like to say that I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I help people preserve their stories through photography as both a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. Okay. I achieve that through a personalized co-creation experience. So uh, the way to create that experience is in a way that is creating those profoundly personal connections with people so that you understand what's important to them and how they want to preserve their story as a legacy or as an heirloom, a keepsake to pass on to people. Huh. Wow. Okay. So how do you effectively communicate that? Because I'm looking at your website as well, and you you very briefly and concisely and wonderfully really sum it up on the homepage of your website. Again, something that I've encouraged our listeners to do when it comes to this idea of brand position. But you say, I am a portrait photographer telling the stories of people who want to leave a legacy through a personalized co-creation experience. Uh, summed up wonderfully, and I love that that's front and center. Uh, but how beyond that? I mean, I if, if I look at that as a photographer and somebody who's had lots of conversation about brand position, I can, I can get it. For somebody who doesn't, who maybe has never really even had a professional photography experience before, how do you effectively communicate that to a potential client? That's great. And I thank you for that. So 
primarily when people think of legacy, I, I serve a, mar- a market that is primarily Hispanics. There's okay. a lot of Hispanic population here in Deltona and the surrounding areas. And people really understand the concept of legacy here and what they're passing on. They're very family oriented people. And so when we talk about something that you can pass along, they grasp that. They understand what it means to pass on a legacy or something that matters to the next generation of your family. And it's also, if you think about it, back in history, when you had these uh, portraits of people, even in paintings, they wanted to present themselves in a way that would be preserved for the rest of history and the way they wanted to see themselves. We know from history that they, those portraits weren't always accurate (laughs) because they wanted to present themselves in a certain way. Uh And so we talk about it in a way of how do we preserve your story in a masterful way, in a way that you can be proud of, but that is also part of the work in progress of what's really happening now. So the only way to pass on a legacy is for it to be true and real to your story and to your life. And so we talk about it in sense of, especially because I do a lot of family sessions, we talk about it in light of how do you want to preserve this very moment of what's happening in your family history and also pass it along in a way that will communicate legacy to your future generation. Do you think that there is a, I mean, I think about American culture uh, versus Hispanic culture, and I don't want to oversimplify this conversation, but I think about the significance of family in Hispanic culture versus American culture. I think of American culture as one of, that kind of centers around this idea of independence versus a Hispanic culture, which seems to put more emphasis on the family unit. Am I off there? Is that too simplistic or stereotypical? No, I completely agree. It might be stereotypical, but it's kind of a true stereotype. I think it's true. There is a lot of uh, dependency and a lot of people who uh, function as a unit when it comes to uh, when it comes to the Hispanic culture. We do interrelate and are interdependent with one another. Uh, We stay close together, live close together, depend on each other, even for events or weddings or things like that. You will see how the family sort of pitches in like a collective village Mm. constantly when it comes to raising children, when it comes to putting on events. When it comes to anything, they function as a unit, as a village. So yes, you can definitely see that. I think that's a beautiful thing. Many of our listeners know I grew up in Japan, spent about 10 years there. And so I've had the opportunity to be, I feel like I'm you know, part Japanese almost in, in a different culture and see the difference, the, the distinct difference between the Japanese culture and American culture. And I think it's beautiful to continue to learn about more cultures. And uh, I, I love the focus on family. I think it's something that I crave, honestly. Like one of the things, and this is totally random, but one of the things that I've never quite understood is is this distinction that's created between when you have a married couple between each side of the family. Like in my mind, a really great Christmas or Thanksgiving get together would be like all all sides of the family, everybody coming together into one big happy family and spending time together. Like that's a beautiful thing to me. And for some reason in our culture, that doesn't seem to be the norm. Yeah, that's true. Um, I have to say, I mean... I grew up uh, far from my family, so I'm only really close to my immediate family. Pretty much my family has been my extended family from church and everything like that. But I can understand where you're coming from and wanting to gather the fa- I mean, I'm a newlywed and I see the distinction between different families and when we come together and that it, it takes a lot of process of intentionality to mm-hmm. merge together and become a, a one. Yeah not just as a couple, but merging families. And it takes leveling with people. It takes a lot of ebb and flow. It takes really understanding people's background, their context, uh, their, their history. And I mean, I'm a psychology nerd, so I love that. And I love diving into what makes people tick and react. And, but that's so important when you're trying to create unity or a sense of village, you need to understand that there is a world behind every person. <laughs> that's so true. I know yeah. I'm too, I, I'm way too simplistic at times. I just just wish everybody could get along and we could all be happy. And, and I sure. know that there's a lot more nuance to, to the whole conversation. You sure. mentioned being a perfectionist, and, and maybe this will kind of give further context to our conversation today and help our listeners get to know you a little bit more. But I know that you, you mentioned to me before we started recording that, that your parents are pastors. So you come from a ministry background, a lot of time in church. Same thing for me. My parents, missionaries. I grew up as a missionary's kid, uh, spent a lot of time in church as well. And perfectionism, I mean, 
frankly, has eaten me alive at times, or this the sense of a need for perfection on multiple levels. And it's a much deeper conversation we don't have time for today. But I wonder if, if you feel like some of that perfectionism comes from your time in the church. That is an excellent observation. Well, actually, I would venture to say that my perfectionism has at times conflicted with the reality of the church. So the reality of the church and not just the church, but gospel and what I believe in in Christianity is actually that you can't be perfect and that you can't do it all right. And so that you need a savior. That, the sure. fact that there is the the fine line between living in grace and living with discipline. And so Somewhere, if you teeter on either side of those for too long, you will find yourself either, if you teeter on the side of discipline for too long, you will find yourself where I have found myself often in venturing to try to reach perfectionism. If you teeter on the side of grace for too long, you start to uh, find yourself in a bit of rebellion. So (laughs) it's almost like a balance that's actually been contrasted in the church. It's been the constant realization that God doesn't expect me to be perfect, that I don't need to be, Mm. um, and that I can live in grace, that that grace gives me freedom, that I don't have to, there's actually not a checklist for me anymore after, after having accepted Christ. That's my belief system. Sure. So I don't need that checklist anymore. And yet I I submit to it often. And I think, uh, I mean, my father is, is an excellent driven man. I've learned a lot of excellent things from him. And part of it is just that. He has a, a statement that says, I'm going to say it in Spanish first, las cosas se hacen bien o no se hacen, which is uh, things are done well or they're not done at all. So interesting. He's he's a man of excellence yeah. and of giving the very best. But I've never felt a pressure, not from my family nor from the church, to try to live up to a certain uh, perfect standard. I think I've, if anything, I've placed that on myself over time. I think uh, it's almost like, if if I could, it's almost like I don't want to to. Not let God down. How do I say this? It's almost like I don't want to embarrass God if he could be embarrassed. Hmm. <laughs> it's almost like um, I have to defend him and he needs no defending. So I feel like sometimes, especially as a minister's daughter, as a pastor's daughter, there's a lot of stereotypes that come from that and people's expectations for what uh, pastor's kids should look like or would look like based on life experiences. So I've either spent a lot of time battling against those stereotypes or trying not to embarrass God with my actions, but I'm constantly found back on the lap of grace of understanding that I don't have a checklist that I need to, to make it, to measure up. So it's actually been a contrast in the church. The church is the reason why I can remember I don't have to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we I think we all at this point realize the church isn't perfect, but I just I know how that that life um, for me at this point a past life, but that life had such a distinct effect on I me. Mean, it wasn't just about the church; it certainly had to do with family life as well. But um, I, that that sense of a need for perfection, things being just so, is something that. Uh, again, on multiple levels, I'm still kind of pushing through. On, on, and I wonder, you know, normally this is where I would ask about the most important lesson or one of the most important lessons that you've learned as a business owner so far. But I want to shift the question a little bit and get your take on perfectionism as a business owner, how you, I don't know, maybe how you've seen that get in the way of being an effective business owner and how you've been able to push beyond that. Absolutely gets in the way constantly. I have to fight myself constantly. In fact, I've been uh, taking, just to give a little bit of context, I've been photographing since I was in high school back in my darkroom days. So I'm not new to photography and yet I am new to this business. I've only been in business for a year part-time as of now. So I think a good chunk of why I haven't ventured in that area is because I want everything to be perfect first before launching, Mm. Uh, before doing anything. It needs to be just right. And I need to, my website has to be 
perfect SEO and email list and IPS, social media platforms, algorithms, passive income. I mean, there is not a shortage of information out there, advice and techniques available to emulate from people at different levels of business. So if you're not careful, and I'm sure many people listening can relate to this, that will stifle your growth and it will paralyze you indefinitely until you can truly realize that there are certain things that you learn as you step, as you walk, and you need to be able to learn from every person and everyone knows something you don't know, but realize, discern when it's time, when you're ready to apply what you've learned, if you should apply it at all to your specific business model. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, this is, it reminds me of, again, of a conversation, I think I maybe alluded to on the, on the podcast not too long ago, but I was having a conversation with my son about his next steps. He's, he's coming up on his, well, he's in his senior year now. He's going to be going to college here pretty soon to study music. And he was trying to, to figure out how to go about this process and, and make some choices about the school and so forth. And one of the things that I encouraged him was really kind of preaching to myself as well, re- reminding him that you can go ahead and make a move. And if you need be later on, you can course correct. Uh, but the idea that we have to have it all figured out and just so to begin with, it's it really can be inhibitive of us being able to first get started and then secondly, um, get our brand out there and begin to grow because we we are we have this preconceived idea that we have to be this particular thing in order to 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 launch and then to be successful. And it's, I have to remind myself of this. I'm in the process right now of getting ready to launch a new brand. And, you know, I, things keep coming to mind uh, that, hey, maybe we should add this feature or do this thing. And I have to remember, okay, we need to get it out there. It doesn't have to be just perfect when we get it out there. We can always make adjustments later on. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us. So I really appreciate you sharing that reminder and mm-hmm. that encouragement as well. At the end of the day, we just need to do it. And and by the way, I have to mention, I mean, you talk about just having gotten started you have lovely, lovely work uh, on your Instagram. And for those of you listening in, if you go to Janioris DR, so it's J-A-N-I-O-R-I-S-D-R. And of course, we'll link to this in the show notes of bookapodcast.com. You can see Janioris's work and it's it's uh, quite lovely and varying too. The mix of color and black and white is really nice. Thank you so much. I, I am a fan of grayscale, so I do slip it in there as much as possible. <laughs> it's it's part of it's part of the brand, I guess. I say I love I love uh, taking photos in grayscale and learning from those crowned in gray hair. So I say that a lot. So there's definitely a lot of black and white on there, yeah. but I do appreciate I appreciate that compliment. You know, I have, I guess my virtual mentor um, is Jasmine Starr. She's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And she always says, you know, the market will tell you, you know, put it out there and the market will tell you what things you need to correct and change, you know. So I definitely feel like I put things out and I listen and I observe from the market and make adjustments accordingly. Um, But I definitely like to put it out there. At least now I'm learning to start putting things out there, even if they're not perfect. Well, but you you bring up a good point, though. This idea that we need to pay attention to the market is is a really great reminder because it's easy as photographers and entrepreneurs to say, hey, this is the business, this is the brand, this is the art that I'm going to create. And there's some significance to that, and especially going back to our earlier conversation, if we're going to create a distinct brand position, we need to bring something unusual to bear. But we also have to pay attention to what people are saying and how the market is responding to what you're offering and that is so so important. So yes, I'm I'm glad that you bring that up as well. You can and there course are correct. iterations. I'm sorry to interrupt you. There are iterations too of even of your own desire to put out a certain image or a certain uh, style. You change too. You to reserve the right to evolve and change as a person as well. So uh, you don't have to commit to everything you put out. You can evolve as a business owner and change your perspective and change what you want to accomplish through your brand. Yeah. And that that's also a great, a great reminder too. a great point. I was listening to an interview, a podcast interview with Sean Penn. I have been actually, and it's really interesting. The conversation he, he had transitioned or has transitioned largely from movie making to becoming an author and writing. And he really enjoys writing. And, and uh, Mark Maron, who was interviewing him, kind of continued to push the issue like, hey, don't you miss you know, movie making? Like, that was your thing. How do you, you go from that, just drop that all together and go and become an author? But 
it was a great reminder of the fact that we are human beings who naturally change and iterate, hopefully, in some form or fashion, hopefully in, in a positive manner, we're continuing to learn and to grow. And so what we do as business owners can change and that's okay. We don't have to be exactly the same forever. So good, good, good conversation. Talk to me about free time, uh, especially as a relatively newlywed. How do you balance, and we're going to talk more about how you balance all that you do, but how do you balance certainly being a business owner along with everything else and also being married? How do you make time consistently for the important people in your life? That I'm glad that you linked that to being married because I'm privileged to be married, which comes with the intimacy and the vulnerability needed to have a built-in accountability system. Mm. So I think that the biggest technique for time for me, especially because of how I'm wired or how I'm built, my personality type is accountability. And um, my husband is on the opposite spectrum of me. He uh, values rest much more than I do naturally. He understands pace a lot better than I do sometimes. And so he is definitely the wisest thing that I can do is allow someone the intimate role of keeping me accountable. And so he does that for me. Definitely part of what gives me time or or what centers me and tells me, hey, you spend a lot of time doing this or, hey, it isn't it time for you to give yourself rest or to care for yourself for less time. Let's get away. Let's take a break. He is definitely the voice in my ear that does that for me. And the more time that we spend together um, and living together, the more I adjust to that rhythm that is healthy for us. And this is particularly true for people who have I guess people are very familiar with the Enneagram, so I can use that. But I mean, I'm a perfectionist type one, right? But that's also true for anyone who's high achieving or like a type three, people who are people pleasing, type twos, or people who are very highly responsible, type sixes, or distractible or scattered personalities, type sevens. So really a lot of different kind of personalities that can benefit from having accountability, yeah. And, and we have to kind of set ego aside in order to be open to that kind of accountability too, right? The, the idea that somebody would, um, I, I can almost imagine your husband putting his, his hands on your shoulders and saying, hey, take a deep breath. It's okay. Slow down a little bit. Just be here with me. Like being open to that kind of feedback in one form or another, it means we set our ego aside and, and we have to well, just open ourselves. And you talked about that idea of vulnerability and, and it requires a little bit of that. What do you think about that? Well, I definitely agree with that. And I think that it has to do with who you have given permission to enter in and point to those areas where you need improvement or where you're not living up to the things that you've already communicated are your priorities or the things that you've already said uh, are your goals or, you know, these are people that are already on your inside circle, people that you've already trusted to share what your visions and your dreams are for your life. And so uh, I think that it's easier to have accountability when you have given that person permission to enter in and point those places out people that you know are are for you that love you that um that want to see you succeed and i think that that has a lot to do with it who have you given accountability to enter in in those places Hmm. talk to me about uh, an impactful business or self-help book maybe even a podcast that you've read or listened to that's just made a a really big impact on your life What, what would you recommend okay so i I am all about podcasts. I am, uh, I, I work full time still. So photography is my side hustle, if you will. And we'll talk about that more later. Um, so as I, as I work in my cubicle, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. I was telling Nathan off air that I think there may be four episodes I haven't heard from the Boca podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a commitment too, because we're, we are, well, I've recorded over 300. I think we've released something like 285 or so now. So I, I, I don't think I actually thanked you earlier, but thank you so much for making that much time to to join us. No, thank you because you're providing value. And I think, um, you know, even if things don't seem to be relatable to you, definitely give them a chance. Uh, listen to different podcasts because they're, if you come with the expectancy that you're going to get at least one thing out of it, you will. Mm. And so I listen to the Boca podcast a lot. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on here. <laughs> but um, also I listen to The Gold Digger, She, Cultivate Your Life. I mean, I have a long list because, I, I, like I said, I'm processing all day in my cubicle and I'm listening to podcasts. But with books, I listen or I read books 
very slowly, <laughs> very slowly. And that's primarily because of the time allowances I have. Yeah. So I will read a lot of times I'll take my lunch break and I will read as I walk around. So I'll kind of get a little bit of exercise and a little reading in at the same time. That's cool. Which is how I do a lot of things in life. I kind of multitask often, but there is a book I've been reading for a long time and I'm still not done, but I'm confident enough to, to recommend it at this point. And it is called A Million Little Ways. It's by Emily P. Freeman. Okay. And she talks about uncovering the art that is within you. It's phenomenal. She is very poetic and she writes very richly with very beautiful descriptions. That's how I enjoy reading. Um, but she talks about how you get in touch with the art that is alive within you. How it isn't necessarily about making something new, but instead it, you have this uniquely human opportunity to reimagine what already is. Even if it doesn't seem like a lot or not enough, it's one of the million little ways um, that you can bring light into a dark place. So it's all about art and how to discover what you're passionate about and what's living within you that needs to come out. It's fantastic. Wow. That's that's one. I know you haven't heard that one before. That's quite, that's quite the review. That's really awesome. Yeah. Okay, we'll link to that in the show notes. I love that. She's my favorite author. I love the way she writes. So that one's, again, a million little ways. And this is going to sound like a religious plug, but it really isn't. And it's the it's the most versatile book I have ever read. I mean, it has poetry and letters and stories, songs and prayers and proverbs. It's, I, I say that it's descriptive and it's prescriptive. So you can read it as something that is describing stories or prescriptively for your life. And I definitely invite listeners to read it, even if you don't believe it. After all, I mean, you don't really read anything because you already believe it. You read it and then you decide whether you believe it or not. So definitely I would give it a chance. And uh, if you need a place to start, I actually have a blog that outlines some incredible practical business advice that's found in the Bible that you can read through. Really? Yep. How interesting. Okay. Talk to us about your camera bag, something potentially unusual that enables you to be a better photographer. What comes to mind? Okay. So I have a non-photography related (laughs) and a photography related. Okay, cool. The non-photography is my hair ties. Okay. I have big curly hair. It is normally down. And if at some point my hair does not go up, I cannot be a good photographer. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely, I feel it when I don't have a hair tie in my bag. So it gets in my way. It's hot and humid in Florida almost year long. So that's super important. But uh, for that same reason of that intense humidity in Florida, as you move indoors and outdoors during shoots, uh, something that has is really practical and portable is a sun pack lens pen. It's about $10. Okay. And it's excellent. It has like a dual um, head and it's just for quickly removing dust and smudges from your lens without damaging the lens. Uh, And it's very, very helpful. Uh, It it has like a brush on one side and sort of like a, uh, for smudges on the other Mm -hmm, side. mm -hmm. And, and I mean, it's fantastic for me. It's a very practical thing. I always have it with me because as I move in and out of indoor and outdoor spaces, the lens will get, you know, smudgy or, or clouded or whatever. And it saved a lot of shots for me. (laughs) Well, that's great. Yeah, no, I think I've, I've had one of those at some point, may even still have one somewhere. Um, but they are, they're, they're relatively simple, but quite practical. And I remember, I mean, I, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, shot most of my wedding career in the Chattanooga market and that humidity going in and out of air conditioned buildings into that crazy humidity and the, that lens just fogs up immediately. And it can exactly. be a, a little bit frustrating. So having something handy that is clean and that can, that can help you wipe all of that off is, is right. definitely And that it handy. won't damage your lens, of yeah. course. So. Oh, 100%. Actually, you know, we haven't talked about this a lot in the podcast. Do you use filters? Like, do you have a UV filter on your lens? I don't, actually. Well, my gear is pretty simplistic, either because I'm just starting or because I like it that way. (laughs) I haven't decided. But I shoot Canon, and I love my 50. I have just acquired an 85, and I actually have a 40, and that's about everything I have. I have a Canon 5D Mark III. And that's the extent of my equipment, pretty much. Yeah, simple is, is so nice. I, I think, you know, I mean, it's fun to play with gear. But at the end of the day, if you just have a few pieces that enable you, then, then focus on the work at hand. Um, I think that's a great, great way to approach it. Well, and as long as you're familiar with what you have, it's really helpful because yeah. then you can actually make good use of what you have instead of trying to master tons of lenses and tons of different equipment exactly. at the same time. Yeah, it'd be dragging that massive suitcase of gear around and then have to sort through it in order to find what to use next. Yeah, that's exactly. interesting. 
Well, I, I want to shift the conversation back to um, our primary focus today, which is this idea of a multifaceted life. And part of the reason I think this is so interesting is, again, because it's so easy to, and I think I may have even kind of gone off on a tangent and, and didn't get back to my original point earlier, which is as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as photographers, we're trying to, at times, maybe frantically create and run a business and it's easy to kind of be blinders on only doing that thing all the time. And it, it's limiting in some ways because there's so much possibility in life. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I know I've brought it up a number of times on the podcast now, but in the last three years, four years or so, uh, three years, I guess, I've spent time riding motorcycles. I got my license and started riding and now I'm going to the racetrack and, and learning technique and it's physically challenging and mentally challenging and it's and it's invigorating and it's scary as can be as well um, and has pushed me outside the box and this is just one thing that I've tried in the last 10 years uh, that has brought variety and interest and challenge to my life and I think that we could all stand to do that in some form or fashion a little bit more there's just so much to life so it is easy to limit ourselves to kind of a simplistic identity that you say, hey, this is who I am. And we were talking about the idea of a personality type earlier or even an Enneagram. And I think part of the reason, and this is a conversation in and of itself to be clear, but I think part of the reason that that can be kind of simplistic is a lot of times behavioral patterns are labeled a personality type and somebody says, I'm just this person. And so now they've limited themselves to these behavioral patterns and to these activities. And that's just kind of where the conversation ends. I think there's so many more possibilities. So all that to say, and I know I'm kind of digging into big topics there, but I'd love to get, first of all, just to give context to the conversation, Januaris, to, to, for our listeners, um, just share briefly, if you will, the various degrees that you have, the professions, the activities that you're currently involved in to give them some context. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. I'll make this as brief as possible. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I mean, I have a I have a psychology and a criminology degree, uh, both bachelor's degrees from the University of Florida. So I'm very invested in what influences our behaviors and our choices, as well as people's personality types like you're talking about. I, I honestly wish everyone had to take at least one psychology class at some point. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make you perfect at handling human interaction by any means, but it does give you invaluable information to make conclusions about people's motives, their intentions, your own conflict management style, your triggers, how mm. you react or retract, mm -hmm. or how you receive affection and attention or how you best learn or communicate. It's phenomenal. I'm a big fan, even though I don't necessarily apply psychology in a professional way. It definitely has aided me in how I handle my business and in how I handle life. So that's the first part of that. So aside from my photography side hustle, I also have a full-time job at a completely unrelated field, <laughs> which is a, uh, I work at a clearing firm for brokers. And I, I don't know how that happened because I don't even like math. So <laughs> I am there. <laughs> I am there. And I have been working there for the past five years. I also teach theology at a local institute in my town. Um, I'm a life coach for a group of young adults that we do community with. Uh, I'm the lead worship singer and vocal coach at my church. I'm a newlywed, which is a whole nother task on its own. <laughs> and yes. I, I run I run a separate music brand um, alongside my husband. Like we talked about earlier, he is an audio mix engineer. And so I occasionally I'm involved in his studio productions for other artists within our home. And we're also avid travelers. So we've been close to Close, close to 20 countries collectively for work, for missions, for vacation. So we are heavily involved people. Well, I, to say the least, yeah. But I, I think that's interesting. You know, I mean, like the, the person, and, and I've thought about this for myself, um, I, I want to be certainly a good conversationalist. And this is something I'm still working on uh, and have a lot of work to do on. But part of what also makes me as an individual more interesting as a conversationalist. I mean, it starts with showing interest in somebody else, making somebody else feel good. Um, but then there's an element too of, at least in my experience, when I engage with somebody who has a, a, I guess, an interesting life and that they are doing a wide or have done a wide variety of things that they can speak uh, to their experiences from, that that in and of itself just makes them a more interesting person to engage with, to hang out with, because they've probably seen and done and ultimately, hopefully, learned a lot. 
But on your, your site, you say something interesting, which is, and this is in the bio section of your website, you say, I love the unpredictability of jazz. Now, jazz is not a type of music that, in fact, I was even naturally drawn to, at least a lot of it, because it, it gets highly technical. Um, it's not, it, it goes outside your typical chord progressions that, that you expect to hear next than, you know, most pop music these days. And we find, as, as human beings, comfort in predictability, knowing what's next. That, that idea of enjoying unpredictability, is this something that kind of spans across your life? It's, is it something that you've, you've always loved? What's encouraged this for you? You know, this question is really making me think. But <laughs> I, I will tell you that in, like you're saying, they're very, it's a very technical uh, genre, but in high quality productions of jazz, these experienced, highly skilled musicians are usually playing live and they riff off of each other constantly. Yeah. You know, it's the only genre of music I would venture to say, maybe I'm wrong, but it's the only genre of music where players are encouraged to sort of, sort of color outside the lines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a quote that I love by Miles Davis, the famous jazz trumpeters. He said, when you hit a wrong note, it's the next note that makes it good or bad. Right. Oh, so, so true. Yeah. So if you, with jazz, if you hit a wrong note, they just sort of riff off of that and yeah. go somewhere else with it. And so mistakes are not really mistakes. They're just interpretations. And what you do with your next move after an unplanned note is very defining. So it makes the music incredibly interesting. It's very enjoyable. And as a person who struggles with perfectionism, there's a healing feeling that comes from embracing perfectly imperfect music, mm -hmm. jazz. Mm -hmm. But it, so would you say then that that kind of translates across your life? Because it, I noticed that, and maybe I was reading into it too much, but the idea of enjoying the unpredictability of jazz means that you're okay with the idea that, that things aren't going to go as expected. And if, again, if we're to break outside of this kind of small box that we live in a lot of times as photographers and entrepreneurs and kind of go beyond that and challenge ourselves with other hobbies or potentially other professions and, and, develop a more interesting life in that way it takes being okay with unpredictability have you seen this in other elements of your life absolutely it it gives you it's i think jazz gives me permission to see something that was unpredictable and still came out beautiful it, and, it, and it came out okay so i think that when i listen to jazz it's a reminder to myself that when things don't go as expected or they, like you say, follow a different chord progression than I had planned originally, it can still come out beautiful and enjoyable. So I think that that's sort of a safe haven for me to almost like when you see someone that has done something before you and it gives you permission to say it's been done, it can happen with me too. I think that jazz gives me permission to say, if I'm enjoying this, I can enjoy my life even if it doesn't go quite as planned. <laughs> That's good. And was that something that your parents instilled in you growing up? Was it something that you just kind of learned on your own? Well, my mom is a singer. My brother is uh, is a drummer. And my husband, like I said, plays piano. So I've been surrounded by music a lot. So the element of music itself, we have just found ourselves as old souls digging into jazz. Yeah. But the element of things not going quite as and I think you can find in any corner of life. So oh, no if you've been, yeah, if you've been living long enough, you know that things are not always going to go as planned. And it's all about the perspective with which you enter it. You know, yes. for our, our honeymoon, uh, which was just a year ago, everything went haywire. I mean, everything. The day we were supposed to leave, there was a blizzard and we missed our flights. We were sort of trying to reinvent our whole hunt. We were supposed to go to Italy and it was starting to look bleak at the idea of getting to Italy. Yeah. And uh, we just started to to plan alternatives, to look for other places to stay. And it was all about perspective. Mind mm. you, we were on Clyde, cloud nine after the wedding. But I think that if you approach it that way, there will always be an alternative. You can always enjoy what's happening and nothing has enough power over you to knock you over if you accept the reality that, that there are things you know about tomorrow and that you are able to, like Miles Davis says, take the next note after the wrong note and make it something else. So we did end up going to Italy, though. 
<laughs> well, it seems like a win-win, but you're right. It's all about perspective right. and how we frame that thing. Um, I, I've mentioned this before, but I have a, 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 a tattoo on my left arm that is the Japanese word kakushin, which is believe or, or belief. And uh, Tony Robbins talks about the significance of how what, what we believe about something uh, and, and ultimately how we frame it. And it is all about what we make of it in the end. And that's just a really great reminder, but it enables us to be able to flex and to flow and to, to go outside our comfort zone and to try new things. And uh, again, it can make for a really, really interesting life if we're open to that approach. And I think that's really cool. But the, the, one of the caveats here and questions that I have is about time. And we talked about this briefly earlier, but how do you make time for all of these things and not get absolutely worn down or burnt out in the process? I have to start by saying that I haven't been perfect at this like everything else and that I have had times of depletion, that I have had times of burnout. And it's important for me to admit that because I don't want to steer anyone into a life of being um, overly committed or taking on too much and get to that point. So I have had ebbs and flows of different involvements and commitments throughout my life. And I think I've come across or have narrowed it down now to three considerations when I decide whether I should invest my time or energy into any endeavor. Interesting. The first one is your personality type. So it takes a very proactive and consistent level of self-awareness and inner dialogue to gauge whether something is fitting to your personality to be heavily involved or not. So uh, to be asking yourself questions like, is this making you feel invigorated or drained? Do you know, does, does, does it feel like you're the best version of yourself when you're doing this or you're becoming the best version of yourself when you engage in this activity? Are you doing this because you feel pressure to engage or does this line up with your personal goals? So the first consideration when it comes to having time for it is, is this even fitting to my personality and to my general goals? The second thing I would consider when it comes to involving yourself is your priorities, like I said, and your value set. So I always feel strange placing people or things in order in my life because I tend to feel guilty, but I've learned the importance of being honest with yourself about your priorities, uh, what's important to you in this season. I use I use Power Sheets uh, by Laura Casey, the Cultivate What Matters brand, and she does an excellent job of steering you in the right direction as you set your goals for your year of really having that inner conversation with yourself about what your priorities are for this year and what your priorities are for this season. So uh, the third thing is just that, is your season. So your priorities don't have to be final to everything. There's a season, there's a time for everything. And um, so I think when you consider having time for it, you need to consider what season you're in. So you can produce all year long, but, but there has to be a rhythm of differing pace. So uh, it's similar to nature. You actually, I know that that's not the popular way we consider seasons, but there are actually many fruits that are resilient and they can withstand the cold climate and even thrive in it depending on where they're being grown. So there are different fruits that can be grown at different times of the year. Um, so similarly, there are times where I can consider, okay, is this a fruit that is going to be resilient and withstand a cold climate and thrive in it in my life in this very season? You know, is there a room for this given my values or my priorities right now? And is this really, am I feeling pressure to engage with this? Or is this aligned with something that makes me feel invigorated instead of drained? Wow, I love that. And it's nice to have uh, the idea of values in particular just really resonates with me because I think this is so important. I've seen the value of having values in my life as well. Having kind of a, a North Star a set of of goals within my life or not even goals but, but values these these ideals to live for and let that kind of guide how I spend time what I do how I engage with people and um and and then the self-awareness piece is again a loaded conversation I know we've alluded to it a couple of times in this conversation too the idea of a season for everything is interesting because I, I think this goes for me back to to maybe being a perfectionist and I feel like I need to be consistent all the time, exactly the same. And mm -hmm. and the reality is that, that that may not actually work for the time being. And I do have to be open to flexing and flowing with what's going on at the moment. Um, that's that's a really interesting point of conversation. But I, I, I want to make this even more practical, though, for our listeners, too. And, and wonder if you can share 
with our listeners how maybe some some simple ways that they can go about adding a little bit more variety to their lives. They understand the significance of variety. We've talked about that. They understand how to manage their time effectively if they're going to add other elements to their life. But how can they actually go about adding those that that additional variety? Perfect. Well, there's actually, um, there's a quote that's been going around. Perhaps your listeners have heard it, but they say it's a, find a hobby that makes you money, one that keeps you fit and one that promotes your creativity. So um, I think if you, um, if you're a listener and you have uh, feel like you are narrowed in on, I think that's actually one of the reasons why, if I could riff off on this a little bit, it's one of the reasons why people have such a hard time finding a brand position. The reason why photographers are stuck talking about their favorite food or other basic facts is because to in order to create a brand that is that shapes your business, you need to be secure in the things that you are rather than having your business shape you is that you can shape your business. And mm find places where you can have relatability with people and expand your networks for even for client opportunities or having transferable skills. So I think that if you were to just want a starting place for finding other things outside of your business, even just for your sanity, because I mean, just immersing ourselves in all the topics available and techniques available for your business, it it will drive you crazy. So if you just want to start with a hobby that makes you money outside of your business, one that can keeps you fit and one that promotes your creativity, I think it would give you a good uh, sense of wholeness. I think one way to really uh, figure out what those hobbies could be, you might think to yourself, I am. I mean, a wedding photographer is making money and being fit and being creative on a wedding. Hopefully, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from all the running around for all those hours, I imagine they're also being fit. But if you think outside of the box, if you sort of use the three A's, I call them the three A's to uh, to sort of distinguish how to choose something to be involved with, it's ability, affinity, and affirmation. So your ability is what you're really skilled at, the things that come easily or naturally to you. Uh, you mix that in with affinity or the things that you are passionate about, to borrow a cliche word, or that light you up, things that get you excited, make you feel full when you take part in them. And then uh, the third part of that is affirmation. So what do people call out in you? Uh, what do the people closest to you or even strangers have to say about where you shine? And if you mix those three things, you will be able to find a hobby that you are skilled at or at least comes slightly natural to you that you have an affinity for or that it makes you feel full when you take part in it and that people affirm you in or that make you say or that that can say, hey, I see you shine when you do this. And I think that's a really good qualifier to find hobbies that you can be invested in that won't drain you from the attention your your business needs, but still create some variety in your life. And I love the alliteration too, um, hearkening back to, to being a minister's kid. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty great. Where did you learn these principles though? I mean, are these that, that you've learned from, from other people or, or ideas, principles you've kind of developed on your own? Well, the hobbies is definitely, I have no idea where the originator of the quote is anymore. The one that says that makes you money, keeps you fit, promotes creativity. But the three A's, I heard those actually recently from a workshop by J.D. Greer. Um, He's a minister as well. Of course, a lot of what I consume is ministry related, but he just talks about how to find your purpose by using those as qualifiers. So I have accommodated that to my life as well. And I think it's, I think it's excellent because it helps you center in. I mean, there are so many things available, the plethora of information and things that you can be involved with could actually overwhelm you to the point of inaction. Yes. So if you use those those qualifiers to help you find something, uh, it might even help you find passive income. It might even help you find a new exercise or a new thing that, and, and again, these are transferable skills. So I I, again, I work in a brokerage firm and one time I didn't feel well and all of a sudden they called these two folks that 
you know, they work in cubicles beside me. I had no idea. One of them had a background in the FBI. The other one was a paramedic in the military and they were helping me out. And I, you would have never known, but those involvements in other areas are actually transferable skills that you never know when you could use them in opportunities with clients or in how you engage with other people or the networks that you have. So it's definitely important to find something that uh, merges all those things. Well, and that's a great segue actually to my last question. I'm just curious, you know, some might say, well, what, what's the purpose of doing all of these other things? How is it going to actually benefit my, my business? Um, I mean, the context of this podcast, which is about running a photography business. So how have you seen this, this uh, varying life? How has that affected what you've done as a photographer? If you could sum it up. I think it's honestly... Uh, one of the main reasons why I've been able to propel quickly in this last year is the fact that I have, I engage with people outside of uh, what could be a potential client network. And with my conversations and my relationships with them, they have been able to, you know, that part about having people trust you or the no like and trust factor, I've almost been able to skip that, that laborious effort because these people are already in relationship with me. I'm already expanded into different networks. So these people already know me, they already like me and they already trust me. And this is just added bonus to our relationship, the fact that I also do photography. You know, um, there are certain levels of relatability even with people that are not in my networks, but they get to know me first as a photographer. I'm able to relate with them and uh, figure out their stories or relate with them and have conversations with them in a way that is useful to transfer onto their photography or onto their session because they relate with me on a different level because of what I do to work out or because of what I do, you know, in my free time or because of my music or because of whatever. So essentially it has helped expand my brand position to where I no longer compete on the same terms as other photographers mm. because I have a leg up on, on other people who only have their skill to show for. Wow. Wow. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful way to sum up our conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing both your experience and advice, these lessons that you've learned. And Jen Yoris, can, can you just briefly share one more time for our listeners where they can follow you online, your brand, um, social media, your website, et cetera? Absolutely. And Nathan, I just want to take advantage to thank you for this incredible opportunity uh, and to give me the chance to create value or add value to a community I've been gleaning from for so long. So this was an excellent conversation and I appreciate that. Oh, my, myself included is truly our privilege. So you can find me at janioris.com. So again, that's J-A-N-I-O-R-I-S. And I purposely have it as genuorous.com. Now you get some context as to why it's not associated to a photography or anything because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of things to my name. So it's just a general site where I have my personal brand with all kinds of different things on there. But genuorous.com is my website. You can also find me on Instagram at genuorous.dr. So my first name again, and then dr is for my last names, or you could consider it as genuorous.com. I don't know. This one. <laughs> that's not that's not a thing I do, at least not yet, right? Not a doctor. But and on Facebook, I'm at Genuorous Photography, or you can find our music uh, with my husband and I at J and H Duo. Wow, awesome. Okay, well, we'll link to all of these in the show notes for those of you listening in. Make sure you take advantage of those show notes. It's at Boca B O K E H podcast.com. Um, you can see the show notes there, or if you have a great podcast player that lets you kind of scroll through the show notes, check them out there. You can link to the various resources that we discussed, see the talking points, and uh, definitely take advantage of those. Thank you once again, Jen Yours, for making time for the Boca podcast. Thank you, Nathan. It was my distinct privilege. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.